Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. And so, are you ready to get started today? All right, today, so we have a title for you. It's called Something New. And so we're continuing our exploration of the church and what the church actually means. So yesterday, uh, we had a great men's breakfast. Those of you men, thank you men, we're showing up. We had some time. And I was having a conversation with Mark. You know, Mark uh, is our host team leader. And we were talking about, you know, what interesting things people do over meals, you know, and and he said to me that, you know, when he's at home, he doesn't have a great meal, he just has a small meal, but when he goes out with friends or other people, he generally has a bigger meal or when he's on holiday, and I said, that's interesting because that's exactly what I do too, because when you're home by yourself, you know, you just rush through breakfast and get things done, you know, I don't know what you had for breakfast, if you're watching online, let us know what you had for breakfast, but I didn't have any breakfast today, Uh, but the point is, when we sit around with other people, we, are, we don't just have the company, we enjoy the meal as well. So you can have the same meal by yourself, but when you're with company, sometimes that meal becomes extra special. Because it's more than just the eating of the food, it's more than the individual. It's the combination of the food and the company that makes it so amazing. Right? I don't know about you, but I've had some amazing meals with people through my life. You know, sitting down, having a meal, having great conversation, talking about deep things, talking about interesting things. You know, I think there's this amazing and interesting social dynamic at work here that when you sit around with friends or when you sit around to enjoy your meal, there's going to be something more. There's an interaction, there's a depth of conversation that you might not necessarily have on some superficial level if you just meet someone and say, so how's your day, how's your week? And we just give surface conversation. But when we sit down and actually talk and eat, we begin to peel back the layers of our you know, exterior and begin to have something deeper, some deeper conversation. Most of us, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, love spending time with people you love, people that you want to hang around with. You know, your family members, your, your good friends. And it's important for us to understand that they, those events actually bring about great interactions and conversations. It allows us to connect and it strengthens us in our bonds of friendship. We can build better relationships and we can build better friendships all over a simple meal and conversation. I'm sure you can recall or connect with that or understand that or it resonates with you. You remember conversations you've had maybe with your father or mother or or a good friend over different events in your life that have been put into your memory bank that you remember because it's important. Today, we're going to talk a little bit further along the story of Jesus and his journey through life. And the important thing is that Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples, three years of traveling together, living together, eating together, fellowshipping together. And so they would have had great conversations. In fact, he did have great conversations because when he did his public ministry and he talked about different things, he would often retreat with his disciples and they would have conversation together. And Jesus would then unwrap some of the deeper parables that the broader crowd didn't understand. He would explain it in detail 
Jewish disciples as they sat and they ate and they had conversations. And Jesus would tell them about some deeper meanings of the kingdom and the depth of the scripture. And he explains and uncovers, you know, the, the nuances and the wonderful nature of the kingdom of God. He would explain it to them in detail over this meal. Now, one of the most important conversations were around the final meal of Jesus. And it was one of the most offensive conversations ever. Maybe you don't recognize it. Maybe you didn't see it. But for its time, it was the most blasphemous thing he could have said. And we read it, and we just go over it. But for first century Jewish people, most of what Jesus said was scandalous, blasphemous, and highly unorthodox. He didn't line up with their view of God. On a couple of occasions, religious leaders picked up stones to stone him because they didn't like what he said. Other times, people that he grew up with dragged him almost to a cliff to throw him off a cliff because they didn't really want to agree with what he was talking about. Because what he said was highly offensive. Following a particularly rough sermon where Jesus talked about, as we did this morning, drinking his blood and eating his flesh, most of his disciples abandoned him and left him. The religious leaders hated Jesus. But the common folk, they loved Jesus. They followed him in droves because they were attracted to what he was saying and what he was talking about. But he offended and ostracized and pushed away these people of religious background because they didn't like anything he was talking about. For Jews in Jesus' time, Jesus was a radical figure that disrupted their view of religion and God. Even his closest followers had a hard time understanding him. And they really believed that eventually Jesus would make nice with these religious leaders. That they would all come together. They would overthrow Rome and restore back Israel in all of its glory. That's what they really believed. Too bad for them. Jesus was not interested in restoring anything. He had come to bring about something new. He was not there to restore some antiquated religious system. He came to introduce a radical new thing that was completely different to what they had been doing religiously for years and years. He didn't want to restore something. He came to introduce something new. And so when Jesus said some of the things that people find highly offensive, most of the disciples believed That, you know, this is just something we have to deal with. We are in this to win it. And so if we hang around with him long enough, we're going to see this kingdom come to pass. And so they were there with it. But I want you to see how Jesus' words foreshadowed the movement and how he had set up something that we are now part of today as we gather so many years later. Jesus talked about it. It all happened, as we commonly know, as the Last Supper. Just as we had communion here today, in remembrance of His Last Supper, we often spend time with close family members, right? The last time that Jesus spent a meal with His friends, they would sit around and enjoy a meal together. And one of the most important times for us as Christ followers 
is Christmas, right? We like to spend time with our family. We want to hang around. We have good conversations. I remember in my life, some of most, my most cherished memories are sitting around having conversations with friends and family, joking, talking about stories, you know, enjoying a great meal together at Christmas. And it's one of our, as Christ follows, one of our most sacred traditions. We do that, right? We sit around and enjoy each other's company at Christmas. But now, I want to show you something, and I'm going to say something really offensive, right? And I want you, for the reason to understand the significance of Jesus' statement. You ready? So say I got up one Sunday and I said, I want to take a minute to announce a permanent change in the way our church celebrates Christmas. Beginning this year, rather than celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're going to celebrate my birth. It's going to be a permanent change. We're not going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to celebrate my birth. Some of you laughed nervously, yes? But as soon as you realized that I was being serious, and I was not joking, you'd become highly offended. Maybe you'd leave and not come back. Maybe some of you would say, you know, we need to have a meeting to understand what's going on here. Maybe we need to get a psychiatrist, because I think he's lost his mind. Because what does he mean, let's celebrate his birthday? We're celebrating the birthday of Jesus. This is the day Jesus was born. And so now he's going to replace it with his birthday. Who does he think he is? Right? Can you think of anything more offensive, absurd, or blasphemous? No? I can. Something Jesus said. Everybody should have freaked out. But they didn't because, as I said, they were in it to win it. And here's what happened. On the night before the crucifixion, which nobody saw coming, even though Jesus told them over and over again, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And so the 12 of them gathered to celebrate the Passover. Right? They gathered in a small room, Jesus and his 12 followers. Passover was one of the most, if not the most important celebrations of the Jewish people. Passover was the annual commemoration and celebration of the nation's liberation from Egypt as they were slaves. And there was nothing more important in the Jewish calendar than to celebrate the Passover. Because it was a reminder of God's deliverance for his people. It was a reminder of his power. It was a reminder of his compassion and care for his people. In fact, God had commanded them to teach their children to remember this every single year. And they were supposed to instruct generation after generation on how to keep the Passover. This was the most important thing. And it's during this solemn and sacred occasion, Jesus made was perhaps the most outlandish and offensive statement ever. And you read it this morning, but you didn't see it. You've read it. You've heard it's been said. You heard Tom read through it this morning. It probably didn't cause any reaction in you at all. You just read it as part of it was. But here's what it is. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 22, verse 15 and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. Paul read that, right? Maybe when they were listening to Jesus, they got distracted by the suffering bit. Because no one likes to suffer. We all want to not suffer. Suffering is distracting. Then he continues in verse number 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Do you see it? What do you see? Don't look with 20th century eyes. Look with 1st century Jewish eyes. At this point, the disciples would have caught on. They would have been, hold on. What are we here celebrating? The Passover, right? But you're kind of making it all about yourself. Perhaps we should take a moment to remember why we're here to remember what we're supposed to remember. Moses, Egypt, let my people go. Right? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on. He took the bread. He gave thanks. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. And here we go. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In which they would have thought, what? You want us to celebrate you? You want us to remember you? This is worse than saying that you're going to destroy the temple. Because this is the Passover. This is generations upon generations of remembrance and celebration about God's deliverance. And you've just made it all about you. We don't touch Christmas, right? Because it's important. And Jesus had no business touching the Passover. Jesus, however, reframed and reinterpreted the Passover meal, pointing back to perhaps the most pivotal moment in Israel's history. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals. Imagine how blasphemous, how scandalous that must have sounded. He's talking about himself. They had no idea what was to come. We're looking at it from a backwards point of view because we know what happened. But them sitting in that moment, they didn't know that in that night there was going to be the crucifixion, that in that night there was going to be all of this thing that's going on. They had no idea. But here sits this guy who's talking about taking away the traditions and the honor and the Passover and making it all about himself. Yes, they'd followed him. But many had left, and some of the things he said were scandalous and blasphemous, and this perhaps was the most scandalous thing yet. As I said, we don't mess with Easter. Jesus shouldn't have messed with the Passover. Unless, unless something better was indeed coming along. Something greater was coming along. We don't see the shock of Jesus' words because again we're looking at it from a backwards view but for them in that moment it would have been highly offensive because he's reducing the significance 
of the most important celebration in Jewish history. By taking it away and making it about himself. They didn't say anything besides it was time for the main course. You know, the food arrived. And so they began to eat and have conversation like we all do over the meal. Some of them would have been thinking about these words that Jesus talked about. And, you know, what does it really mean? Is he crazy? His family thinks he's crazy. Maybe we are following the wrong person here. And just as things were getting back to normal, having a good conversation their meal, Jesus went at it again. He says this after they finished the meal in verse 20. He says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What did he say? Did he say new covenant? Did he really say new covenant? As in the one talked about from Jeremiah 600 years ago? Is that what he's referencing? The ancient scriptures told of a covenant that God had made between him and his people that he would eventually replace it. Jeremiah says in his words in verse 31 of chapter 31, he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. This will be a a brand new covenant unlike anything before. This covenant will be one of relationship and conscience. Completely different. This is the covenant, he says in verse 33, that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This was a prophetic utterance 600 years before Jesus came along. And when Jesus declared a new covenant, they would have recalled the words of this great prophet Jeremiah. And they would have said, here's what he's talking about. But we still don't get it because we don't understand what's about to arrive. Jesus was not going back to restore this old covenant. He was going to introduce a brand new covenant. One that would transform the world. Transform society as we know it. He was not interested in going back to some old antiquated system. Jesus was about to introduce something brand new. He didn't come to reestablish an old covenant. He came to create a new one. Something new. The full implication was lost on them. But the power of the moment was gone because in a few minutes... In a few moments, in a few hours, he was going to be taken before Caiaphas. He was going to be beaten and they would go through a horrible night and a few days of horrific treatment. And they would have forgotten the words that Jesus said. But after the resurrection, they would have remembered. And then they would have told someone. And they told Luke, the doctor. And Luke documented so we can remember the words of that night where these 12 people sat around Jesus. And he talked about the most offensive thing at that moment. But then it became the most powerful thing that caused a world movement that transformed the world. Jesus used his final Passover meal to announce the end of the Passover as they knew it. And to signal the inauguration of the new covenant. This was not a covenant just between God and Abraham 
or God and one particular people, as was the case in Israel. This was the big one. This was the final one. This was the everlasting covenant. This was a covenant between God and the human race. Every nation could now come in. Every people now was welcome. It was no longer exclusive. It became inclusive. And this was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. You remember all those many years ago, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations. But till that time, it was just one nation. But here come the nations. Here come you and I. Here come every nation across the world. We all get to be part because of Jesus' inauguration of a brand new covenant. We get to be the ecclesia, the movement that Jesus introduced. And what does that mean for us? Thanks to the new covenant, we're not required anymore to offer animal sacrifices on the altar. We don't need to shed innocent animal blood. We don't have to go to a place to meet God at a particular venue. We're all under the establishment of a brand new covenant where He is the high priest and we come under His blood shed for all that we can have relationship, communion, and fellowship with the God of heaven. All of us together. We don't have to go through some system anymore. The problem is the church over the years has tried to smuggle in the old into the new. They've tried to mix what the old covenant was with what Jesus established. And as soon as you try to mix, it leads to horrible things. I told you last week about William Tyndale. William Tyndale tried to give the words of Jesus to every single man and woman. They could understand it in their own language. But church leaders declared him a heretic and had him executed. How did they justify this behavior? Well, they justified it on the old covenant. Because only the priests were allowed to commune with God. And so anyone else that can have it is not right. How did the church go around and execute and slaughter idol-worshipping pagans? Why did they do that? Was that under Ecclesia? No, it wasn't. Because they smuggled in old covenant laws into the Ecclesia of Jesus. The old covenant called for idol-worshippers to be put to death. And so they did it based on the old covenant as they mixed things together. But the true Ecclesia of Jesus is that we don't hate anyone. We don't push anyone away. We don't push anyone away based on their background or even their religious past or their lifestyle. We welcome everyone home. We love everyone. We're no longer under that old covenant and old laws. We're under the ecclesia of Jesus. If we are to participate in the ecclesia of Jesus, we need to adopt its clear definition of Ecclesia. What did Jesus mean? What did he actually say? He said, my Ecclesia is for everyone. It's for every person. It's for every race. It's for every country. It's for every nation. All of us have to come back into the Ecclesia because this is not about a stationary monument. This is about a movement that touches the hearts and minds of people and restores them back into relationship with God. 
This is about Jesus' ecclesia. If we are part of the ecclesia, we need to hold up the covenant and stand for what is right. This is about Jesus' great commission to go to all nations, to tell all people, to invite everyone. It's about evangelism. This is about the ecclesia of Jesus looking at it and functioning as salt and unfiltered light to shine and not to destroy. This is about ensuring that something life-changing and new that Jesus introduced and unleashed on the world does not get retrofitted just to please certain people and just for us to have some exclusive club. This is about everyone, everywhere. The Ecclesia is not based on what people look like, what their past is, what they have been a part of, where they come from, no matter what their background is. The Ecclesia of Jesus is a place where everyone is welcome, home, loved, embraced, and loved. This is not about the old antiquated system. This is about the brand new movement Jesus introduced. In the words of James, the brother of Jesus, to paraphrase this, he says this, this is not about making it unnecessarily difficult for those people turning to God. And again, to paraphrase Paul, the great apostle, he said this, this is about winning some and saving some. This is about bringing people back into relationship with God. So let's tap into Ecclesia. Let's tap into the movement Jesus created, a place for everyone to come home, to be loved, to be accepted, and to be treated with dignity. Not to be judged, not to be looked down upon, but to be embraced and said, welcome home. You and I have been given the mantle of this mission. It's been put on us. Will you receive it and move into it? Will you adopt the ways, the words, and the life of Jesus? Or is it something that you find too difficult? Is it blasphemous? Jesus envisioned us and spoke about us when he talked about the ecclesia at that final meeting. So I want you to think about this for a moment. And I want you to lean into where we are going as a church. Because we are a church for unchurched people. No matter where they come from, we want them to come and encounter Jesus. Because He is the only hope that exists in this dark world. There's no other place, there's no other way, and there's no other truth. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the way maker. He is the light. He is the salt. And we are his ecclesia. Are you ready to step in? So I want to leave you with two questions that I always do. Write it down. Don't just walk away. Let the words of Jesus resonate in your spirit. Let his words direct your life. Let his thoughts influence your thinking. And let his 
ecclesia marinate in you. So I want you this week to read Luke chapter 20, verses 7 to 20. We've done that. You read it. You heard it through our communion message. And you've heard it right now as I've said it. It's not a lot of verses. Luke 22, verses 7 to 20. And it's again Jesus' final meal with his disciples. He's talking about the Passover, but as we see now, he came to introduce something new. In that moment, they might have found it blasphemous and highly offensive. But as we see it now, it was the most radical statement that he made because it's the introduction of a brand new covenant and a movement that he established the Ecclesia. And so I want to ask you, so ask you to think about these two questions. Number one, how can I fully embrace Jesus' call to action, to be the ecclesia? In your life, how can you fully embrace Jesus' call to action, to be the ecclesia? Think about it this week. Pray about it. Ask God to speak to you. Let Him show you how you can embrace it. You know, not oppose it, but embrace it. In order to move into something, you need to believe it first. So ask Him. How can I fully embrace the call to action that Jesus called? And number two, what can I do individually to show people that are not Christ followers that God loves them? And I don't necessarily mean to go and bash them with the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to show them through demonstration of acts of love and service that God loves them. And if they ask a question, you can answer. But what can I do individually to show people then that are not Christ followers that God loves them? And maybe it's not having an argument with them. <laughs> Simple thing. Maybe it's just loving them regardless of their opposing views. Maybe it's welcoming them even when they don't agree with you. What can you do to show people that are not Christ followers that God loves them. So I want to leave you with those two things this week for you to marinate in, to think about. And next week, we'll be concluding Shining Through. I'm sure some of you are going, Phew, that was a lot. <laughs> but I believe that for us to move in the direction that Jesus called us to, we need to understand what Jesus called us to. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. What did Jesus really mean when he said, here's the blood of, my new, of the new covenant. Here's my body. Here's my blood. Broken for you. Was it just a happy meal? Was it just him speaking about something that they didn't understand? Or was it beyond that? Was it an introduction or inauguration of a brand new covenant. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of what he did a few hours later on the cross, that brought all of us in. And we're here because of what he did and he said. Do we really have the right to stand in the way of someone else coming to him? Maybe they don't look like us. Maybe they don't act like us. Maybe they don't 
you know, appear like us. Maybe they don't even agree with us. Why do we as Christ followers like to judge people that are not Christ followers? We live to a different standard, right? But we look down on other people and say, well, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. What it would it be like if we really love the way Jesus did? You know, the one thing about Jesus, he, he loved, but he did not compromise. You don't have to compromise who you are to love like Jesus. You don't have to change your belief. You don't have to water down your ideas. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just have to love with the love that God placed in you. Because He is love. He is the manifestation of love. He is the source of love. And if we can love like Him, then we can also forgive like Him and embrace like Him and welcome people back in. It doesn't matter how far they've been, how desperate they've done things. Some of the scriptures are filled with murderers, haters, blasphemers. Paul says, I was chief among them. You know, Paul stood there when Stephen got stoned. It's part of it. He went and he hunted down Christ's followers, threw them in prison, separated families, got them killed. He was a radical opposition to the church. But when God transformed his life, he became one of the strongest components of who Jesus was. Because if Jesus could forgive him, he could forgive anyone. And if Jesus can forgive us, he can forgive anyone else around us, no matter what they have done. Our responsibility is to love, to embrace, and to welcome. Amen. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.